0: Welcome back to the Foreign Policy Provcast. My name is Mark Melton, and I am the managing editor of Providence. And today we are speaking with Wei Feng Zong and Christine McDaniel, both of whom are with the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. And today we are going to be speaking about forced labor issues in China. So first off, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for helping us. And so, to kind of kind of kick us off and to start talking about this issue, uh, would you two like to describe your backgrounds and how you started researching these labor issues in China?
1: Uh, I can go first. Uh, sure. So I was born in China until I finished uh, college, and then I spent a few years in Hong Kong before I came to the United States. And I remember actually some some parts of. The past, uh, in terms of uh, China's forced labor practice, growing up, I did know some of it, but I I totally had no idea the scale of the forced labor, especially in recent years, until uh, you know I came over to to the United States with a uh, better access for information, for example. And so uh, and and so this is really the um, the reason was because of the uh, tight information control and propaganda in China. And so it, it was a shock to me. And that also sort of motivated me to uh, follow these issues. And uh, from the trade perspective, Christine and I started to write about this issue. And that's how uh, what brought me on to this uh, subject. And Christine, how about you? You were
0: you worked in the government on some of these issues, correct?
2: Well, Yes. Yeah, so I was I guess I came into this more from an economist, uh, like strictly trade economist perspective. Uh, if and when these issues ever did come up during my years in, in um, the U.S. government, it was usually um, in the form of, you know, child labor and maybe on uh, trade agreement issues. But it was more of a, uh, it was slightly different, right? So it was more of a, where developing countries were, um, it wasn't a matter of freedom or forced labor per se. It was really a, more of a matter of, um, you know, okay, we're, this country employs relatively young people to work in their industry so they can continue to go up the, you know, development ladder, if you will. And while nobody wants to see, you know, children, um, in such a young age working, uh, it, it was different than this forced labor issue that we're seeing in China, uh, where the, um, You know, it's it's really more of a, you know, a prison camp issue um, and less of a development issue.
0: And one of the key words here is we're talking about forced labor and not really slavery. I know some people kind of use the terms interchangeably, but could you explain, you know, like why what's the forced labor? Like, why is it forced labor, not slavery is kind of the term I'm hearing more often. And what does it actually look like in China?
2: Well, I can take a stab at that and then and then pass it on to Wei Feng, who will have a really interesting perspective, I'm sure. I mean, this is interesting because I have seen um, a Chinese officials tweet about this about you know a picture of um, Mississippi cotton pickers, you know, the um, slave slaves, uh, and they compare that to these pictures of the Uyghurs um, picking cotton, and you know, I, I don't even know if <laughs> if that. Deserves too much discussion. I mean, the um, yes, the U.S. You know, we had slaves. You know, over two hundred years ago, the United States ended up going to civil war over it. The North won, and we don't do it now. So I, I don't, you know, it. We recognized, you know, <laughs> over hundreds of years um, that you know we are our, our, the the moral issue with it, um, and we paid a hefty price for it. And, you know, some would say we're still paying that price for it, but we are, you know, not doing it now. And so, you know, and, you know, we don't want to see other countries do it. I mean, just in the sense of a very, uh, you know, core human rights issue, um, you know, through the United Nations language, you know, the United States and many others, you know, believe that every single human being on the planet um, is born with some level of human rights. So. It's, it's really not, a, it's, it's just, a, I, I would say it's a, it's a false equivalence.
1: I, I totally agree with what Christine said. But in fact, this kind of propaganda campaign is something very common in China. Whenever, you know, we in here criticize some of the Chinese behavior that we think uh, it's not uh, in line with our values, uh, the Chinese propaganda was uh, point to something uh, way, you know, uh, way in the past in, in, in the U.S. history, for example. And to say, oh, you you did it too, and you, you or you did something even worse. But of of course, I mean, you know, of course, there are uh things that in 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 each country there are things that we are not uh, particularly proud of. But we progress from it, right? So we correct our mistakes. And in China, you, you can't even protest again uh against for, uh for say issue in Xinjiang, right? If you go on Tiananmen Square, I, I bet if you uh, uh pull pull up a flag that says you know China is great, and you know, people might even arrest you because <laughs> gathering is not even something that regular Chinese people can do, no matter what you're going to say in, in a gathering uh, context. So I, I think that the, the, the comparison is really, uh, uh, it's ridiculous uh, that the, uh, but it's typical behavior from Chinese propaganda. The Another point I wanted to um, make was that the the way forced labor works, uh, my understanding is that it, it has, uh, it, it certainly has co- element of coercion, but it's uh, the, the form it takes was under the umbrella of social development, and uh, so in in the socialist um, uh, regime like China, uh, a lot of times the, a lot of de- development issues is uh, bundled together in in the in the sense that we are trying to advance a goal for the entire society. Hence, we need to force you to do this and that. So it's not uh, the the there are there are no slave owners that. Uh, Really own the 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 per persons in uh, the Uyghur region, but it's uh, it took place under the umbrella of uh poverty elimination, which is a big part of President Xi Jinping's uh policy goal for the last few years is to eliminate absolute poverty. And so they round you up in uh, in the countryside. If you are so poor, then they consider you lazy, and then you 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 be forced to join a, a factory and work there because they want to eliminate the poverty that they think you have. So so that that's a, a, a disregard of human rights for sure. But the way it t- takes place is because they have this excuse of, you know, we have to de- develop together. Hence, you have to do whatever I tell you to do if I think you are lazy. If I'm not mistaken, like the way this
0: sometimes work, if I remember some of the articles I read previously was they, you know, Chinese officials will go to Uyghur households or what, and basically force people into working or coerce them, even if they're getting paid, like, a nominal amount of money. It's not a market wage, and they're not choosing this job freely. And so is that how it works? Also, they, I believe they're also sent to, uh, um, I think we have satellite images of uh, basically f- compounds that are essentially prisons and that there are... You know, factories either nearby or that there's fields nearby. And there's, I believe, satellite photos of people going back and forth from these as if they're prisoners being brought back and forth. Is that correct? Or how do, so in other words, like, how do we, one, know that this is happening? And two, like, how would it work?
1: Yeah, that's great uh, what you brought that up, Mark. Is that I think that's amazing development of what's called, uh, and I'm a big fan of uh, what's called open source intelligence. And Which basically means that you can generate a lot of valuable intelligence by relying on publicly available information, including satellite images. And so um, some reporters with BuzzFeed, uh, last year they won the Pulitzer Prize for uh, in the investigative reporting of the facilities in, uh, in the Uyghur region that were uh, seemingly um, uh, used as the forced labor camps. And so the the way they did it was amazing because they were able to identify people uh, walking in formation without swinging their arms. Like normal people, when we walk, we we don't walk in formation, first of all. But uh, even uh, uh, another thing was that, you know, when we walk, our our arms move around. But they were able to identify people who are walking without moving their arms and in formation, and that suggests that they might be prisoners. And also uh, coupled with the fact that they walk in and out of some uh, compounds that were newly built, they were even able to um, uh, to capture the floor plans of those labor camps when they were being built, layer you know, a floor by floor. Uh, because in the process, you'll be able to see they try to put up the the tiny rooms, and they were able to count how many people uh, uh, could be you know uh, put under uh, put in prison in that facility. So the estimate that came out of the study was that at any at any time any point in time those facilities in the Uyghur region were able to uh take in uh, uh, as many as 1 million uh, prison camp uh, uh prisoners at at one, any single any uh, uh, point in time
0: and for listeners i will in the show notes kind of link to some articles that talk more about this and uh, regular sin- listeners might also know that um we had an event last year to talk about this, and so we will uh, link to that as well in the show notes. My next question is about the Uyghur Force Prevention Act. Could you two describe how this act is supposed to help stop forced labor in China?
2: Yeah, I can go first. So right, in December, right before Christmas, President Biden signed that um, Uyghur Force Labor Prevention Act into law and actually received by, uh, wide bipartisan support in Congress. They are still going through. Um, they're going to have a public um, hearing, invite um, testimony and comments, public comments, uh, as they it will fall. I think in, under within customs, customs and border protection to figure out how to administer the the law. But it's really interesting because I, I mean, this the key feature of this act is this creation of a quote-unquote rebuttable presumption. So basically, if if an import is coming in to the United States, if it's even partially made from the Xinjiang region, then it will be presumed to have been made with forced labor, and it is up to the importer to prove otherwise, right? And so... That is a key feature of the act, and it will be really interesting uh, to see how customs and other relevant agencies interpret and administer the act, you know, given that language.
0: How should this act be designed? What are some of the potential problems with implementing this type of law? For example, before we started recording, you mentioned that there might be some problems with the evidentiary process and with interim products. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think
1: there are some uh, details that are not currently specified by the law. So it will be up to the regulators, uh, including Customs and Borders uh, Protection agencies uh, to figure that out. Because what the law says was that products made uh, wholly or in part in Xinjiang, so we don't, really know what in part uh, means um it could mean for example that there are um researchers have found out recently that there are um in interim products uh, un, for example unfinished cotton which is a major export uh, from xinjiang uh, these uh, interim products they were um, sold from china to some other countries think of any countries like in africa or south america And there are factories there that um, use these interim uh, unfinished cotton to make uh, clothes, right? And then those uh, companies, they could export those clothes uh, to, say, the United States. And so when you look at these imports from these third countries, are they made wholly? They're not made wholly in Xinjiang, but are they made in part in Xinjiang? That sounds about right, right? Because at least some materials are from Xinjiang. And so the... A major parameter here is how tightly or how wide or how narrow, uh, regulators want to put these kind of goods under the rebuttable con- uh, presumption. Do we presume everything from these countries coming in? Um, say if it's made with cotton, to possibly come from Xinjiang, right? So, and then you you have to go through the evidentiary process to to show that whether you know importers they will have to show. To prove that they are not made with the unfinished cotton in Xinjiang that's made with forced labor. But when the Chinese economy, given that the Chinese economy is so intertwined with the rest of the world, anything could potentially have something that was made with forced labor down you know deep down in the supply chain, right? And so the the trade-off here is for policymakers really to to balance the economic cost to our system. Uh, because if you if you say we're going to ban everything, then it's going to be very costly versus to actually try to have the deterrence effect on Chinese behavior to say, if you really have forced labor, we'll ban you. So uh, you should stop that practice in uh, in the Uyghur region of Xinjiang. So, so the ba- balance is how to tr- strike because doing this kind of uh, taking these kind of measures will be economically costly uh, to the United States, although it could also defend our value
0: if I understand this correctly, the idea is that what Chinese company could do is to avoid any of the sanctions or any of the, um you know, import bans on products from Xinjiang is to uh, basically have it go through like an African country or another country, have it processed there and then, you know, ship the final product to the U.S. is... Am I understanding that right? Is that one of the potential problems with this law that it may not or may or may not address?
2: Yes, exactly. So just think of the um, the cotton fields, which, you know, are often noted in this in this issue. And so if you, you know, for instance, I just got you know, I just got a new jacket the other day and it says made in Indonesia. Right. So if that comes into the U.S. ports, custom sees made in Indonesia. but if Is that going to be enough or do they also have to prove that, um, you know, the cotton that is in that jacket, um, you know, did not come from the Xinjiang region? You know, how far back will suppliers need to prove and trace out their supply chain? Right. Because if they only have to um, show that, you know, was, for instance, you know, made in Indonesia, coming from Indonesia, that's enough. Then, then uh, everybody could just source their cotton from the Xinjiang region, um, and it will have you know that the act will have minimal effect. So you know, just like Wei Feng was saying, you know, their policymakers are going to have to you know design this, <laughs> and it's going to be a challenge, right? Because you know you want to um, you know there's an optimal design point there, but it's really hard to hit. So they're probably either going to have to decide on being a little too restrictive or not or a little loose right and so and then there are economic effects on airing from each side so the economic effects of being overly restrictive you know is basically you're you're you are you are you are likely to bar some goods um, you know that you know cut from coming into the u.s that were not made with forced labor um and and the, the cost to the importers uh, might be a little bit higher, um, but um, and then if you're if you err on the other side, then you know a lot of things are going to slip through the cracks. But remember, like you know, this is a life is a repeated game, right? So if importers and exporters and buyers and sellers and everyone along the supply chain sees that customs is going to err on the side of being um, a little overly restrictive, then you could see how uh, it's likely that everyone along the supply chain will take extra steps. You know, incur at least those upfront costs of tracing out their supply chain and taking those extra steps to show that their uh, their product was not made with any forced labor in the um, in the Xinjiang region. And you know, and after that upfront cost is absorbed then we basically have a new, you know, slightly different, um, more traceable supply chain, uh, which, you know, you kind of need to administer this type of policy.
0: In addition to these extra costs on businesses to kind of trace out their supply chains, I know that there are issues for businesses that are continuing to work in China. And for instance, I, last year I wrote about H and M and how there were boycotts and a lot of trouble that they got into because they said that they did not use cotton from Xinjiang and that they were concerned about forced labor issues there and also the their inability to audit the uh, supply chains there. So, like, what are like, will companies face problems you think in China because they have to adhere to this law, or would this law? Would this give them an excuse of, like, well, we can't use this product because of America's laws? Like, how would that affect them?
2: Yeah, probably a little bit of both. I, companies are already facing problems. Last year, we spoke to a um, large supplier, retailer of um, products that are sold in Target and Walmart, you know, baby clothes. And they were telling us that, you know, as much as they would like to carry out a credible audit, it's really hard to do in China, right? It's it's hard to find an auditor, an independent auditor. So in fact, <laughs> there was even a um, somebody. Wei Feng will um, remember this. Um, maybe he can help re- remind the listeners. But there was even um, an ad in a Chinese newspaper about you know somebody who was who said that they could provide credit, quote unquote credible audits for a fee. Um, and, and help you get around the, um, you know, the forced labor um, auditing issue. So, um, you know, it, it's, and then there are also other reports that Amelia Pang, the author of Made in China book, um, noted that the remaining independent auditors have basically been um, forced to shut down or they've been kicked out. So if you cannot do a credible audit in China, then, you are not going to be able to show with with um, your customs with any credibility that you haven't sourced from the Xinjiang region. So you know that's going to be the the area where companies are going to have to figure this out. There are large multinationals that have their own internal auditing processes, and if they can show customs and prove to customs um, that you know that um, that their auditing process is credible and transparent, uh, you know, then they might, um, be fine, but you know, that it's the small and medium sized companies that are, you know, they don't, they're not large enough. They don't have their own internal auditing process. Uh, you know, they're not so well organized and bringing their, their books to customs. Um, you know, what are they going to do? So these are all cu- the types of things that customs is going to have to you know figure out in the coming months.
0: Is there also an issue where does this act focus specifically on Xinjiang or does it focus on other parts of China as well? Maybe you might have mentioned I missed it. But in other words, like, you know, forced labor, like, is it the assumption that it's only happening in that region where the Uyghurs are? Or is there an assumption that they can be brought to other parts of China or that other groups of people may be put into this forced labor, even though they're not in that Xinjiang region?
2: Yeah, well, it's the former, right? So it's it's really um, an effort to address the plight of Uyghurs and other persecuted minority groups in that region, in China's Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. Uh, the acronym is X-U-A-R. So it really is targeted at, at Uyghurs and other persecuted minority groups in that region.
1: Uh, to Right, and to add to what Christine just said, uh, I, I think uh, it seems the policymakers are aware of some forced labor practice outside of the Xinjiang region. Uh, I think in the event last year, we discussed the another phenomenon. So we, we talked about the interim product uh, coming out of Xinjiang and getting into third countries. Another phenomenon is, is actually forced labor uh, prisoners. They were moved outside of the region, outside of the Uyghur region, and then worked somewhere else in China, in factories, say, in, somewhere else in uh, mainland China, as they could be suppliers of goods uh, that were in eventually shipped to the, to the United States and so uh, in in the what the law says uh, is primarily focused on the Xinjiang region but it also seems to suggest that there will there, there will be a uh, some sort of an entity list uh, for companies that source materials uh, or produce materials made with forced labor from outside of the region so it it seems it sounds like some, uh, the the law is uh, targeting Xinjiang region plus maybe a list of some companies that we don't know what they are, <laughs> and that will also be up to the discretion of uh, regulators to say, uh, here maybe one possibility is that they may pull up a list of companies to say uh, these are uh, companies that we think are sourcing from forced labor. So we are going to assume that anything that they brought into the United States uh, are possibly made with forced labor, unless they prove otherwise. So it would be um, similar to, there are some Chinese companies on the, entity list on a, of the United States saying that they, for example, work for the U, uh, Chinese military, so they are threatening uh, national interests of the US, so so we have a, a export control to those companies. So it would be similar to treatment like that, but it's it, it's too early to say you know, who will be on the list, and it's totally up to uh, policymakers to, to figure out whether they would actually, uh, actually want to include anyone or, or whom they would want to include.
0: My last question is, you know, how do people in China feel about the issue of forced labor in their country? Because I think sometimes in America, you know, we hear about this and we just assume like there should be this outrage, but that's very much
1: not the case, right? (laughs) That's right. Uh, It's very sad to see this, but the reality was, uh, I'd like to point out to that uh, app called Clubhouse, uh, which was a audio uh, discussion uh, forum, basically and so everything is live and so it's like a phone call where people just get together in rooms they talk about anything they want and for a brief moment it, the the app was not blocked in so initially the app was not blocked in china so a lot of uh, mainland china, chinese people were able to get on and there's one time uh, too bad that that app is not does not save any recording so we can't you know go back to it, but. Uh, and a journalist wrote a wrote a piece, uh, wrote a news story because uh, that person was listening in a conversation between a mainland Chinese, the majority Han of the majority Han ethnicity, uh, and uh, in a discussion with uh, some Uyghur minority uh, uh people on the on the same forum. And so then the, the Uyghurs were telling the Han Chinese about all these horrendous acts in the Xinjiang region. And the mainlander apparently had no idea. And uh, it was apparently it was, it was a very moving conversation because the mainlander later on said to apologize to the Uyghur uh, minority uh, participants in the, in the conversation, saying that, you know, we are very sorry to, to, to hear all these things because we are no, we have no idea. Not only because we have, we totally had no idea because of the tight information control, but also that even if we knew uh, regular people, they, they were not going to be able to do anything to help them. Uh, for example, you can't really go on the street to protest, right? I mean, maybe you could, but then you'll be round, rounded up uh, pretty soon. And so the uh, I think the, the scale of the information control was very, uh, was large and very effective so that many people in China, they either do not know or they do not believe that, uh, you know, some of their fellow citizens were uh, in forced labor camps.
0: Well, Weifeng and Christine, thank you so much for joining us on the Profcast today and talking about this issue.
2: Thank you, Mark. It was so nice to be here with you.
1: Thank you for having us, Mark.